Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is so bad, even a mushroom would say, wow, that tastes terrible. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe-smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you on uh, another Tuesday night here from my home. Anyway, uh, (laughs) on this week's show in Pipe Parts, we've got another uh, Drinking with Kevin Godby session. So uh, strap on your seatbelts for that one. And then my guest is Ask the Expert... Rich Esserman, Doctor of Pipes, Governor of the Doctors of Pipes, Grand Poobah, and all. So you get that. Uh, Happy, upbeat music, mailbag, and a uh, timely tobacco-related rant. All that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, If you're following me on uh, Facebook or Instagram... You will notice that I've been doing my uh, t-shirt a day, every day, sometimes a little late in the day, sometimes earlier in the day, just depends, but uh, the uh, the t-shirt a day, and I'm actually wearing today's t-shirt right now, so you can go to Facebook and follow me there, or Instagram and follow me there, and you'll see the uh, t-shirt that I'm wearing for the day. <laughs> Uh, so far, I think I've got another 86 to go, uh, so that'll keep me busy long through the summer. Um, JDRF Auctions, we are uh, waiting for Steve the Pipe Stud Fallon to get settled into his new place, and then, you know what, we'll get him going. So if you've got something that you'd like to donate, please email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. If you're just a uh, individual collector that wants to donate it, that's great. If you're a uh, pipe maker, manufacturer, importer, supplier, whatever it is, reach out to me. Appreciate everything that is donated. Again, that's brian, B-R-I-A-N, at pipesmagazine.com. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. There's nothing quite like a good book, or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us for Pipe Parts is uh, the one, the only, the founder... Kevin Godby. Kevin, it's time for uh, drinking and smoking again. So what have you got for us this week? This week, we are looking at a light aromatic. And specifically, you know, just to remind our listeners, last time we did my opinion, yours, and also Kyle Weiss, who is our tobacco reviewer. He writes monthly tobacco reviews. He has a background in cuisine. He used to be a professional chef and he used to work at a tinderbox and would match up drinks and tobaccos for customers. So I wanted to get his take on it too. And he picked, I just said, I said, do go do a light aromatic. And he picked one Q, which is not a bad choice. It's a very prevalent tobacco that a lot of people smoke. Yeah. Kind of the industry standard of a, of a light aromatic. Yeah. And he went with something kind of cool here. He did uh, Guinness stout, And I will read his email right now. One Q as an aromatic is not really my thing. However, a new pipe smoker and beer drinker, apparently, that stopped in my tinderbox while I was employed there, very much enjoyed it. A few of the proprietary aromatic blends at tinderbox were comprised of one Q. Yeah, like a lot of other places, too. And he asked me to find him a beer that would go well with it. He didn't like things like Budweiser, good, and wasn't too keen on the hip microbrews of the area. I found out that he liked red ales, but they became bitter when he smoked. I happen to have a few cans of Guinness Stout in the back, so we did a little experimentation. One of the main things when smoking aromatics is to either go just as sweet with drinks, simple combinations of rum and Coke, for example, or totally savory seemed to be the ticket. Myself not having much of a sweet tooth, I figured it was worth a shot. Uh, 
The vanilla of the 1Q, which to me is a bit overwhelming, became almost a cafe latte when paired with Guinness. The thickness of the stout and the sweetness of the smoke were a delight even for me. And if you don't mind a cold stout beer, Guinness, and if you don't mind a cold stout beer, Guinness is a great option to mix with this great aromatic. Yeah, I I could see that. What do you think? Yeah, I you know, I'm I'm not a um <laughs> I'm not a fan of either things. I'm not. A, <laughs> I'm not a fan of light aromatics, and I'm not a fan of of stout beers or dark beers or heavy beers. Mm-hmm. Um, but the minute you started talking, I was starting to think of how this would work as a chocolatey, almost kind of like a uh, like a hot fudge sundae mixture in my in my mouth. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and I'm and I'm always reminded that here in the United States we serve beer way too cold. So oh, totally. So make sure that when you're doing this with the Guinness, that the Guinness is fifty to fifty-five degrees at time of serving. Don't let yeah. it. If it gets too cold, it it'll close down your taste buds and and it won't mix well with the smoke. Yeah, actually, you just gave me an idea that if I have. Extra room. I actually have three wine refrigerators. And <laughs> I'm surprised there's anything in them, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what happened? I, I used to have a really nice, huge one that was very expensive and it broke. And what it would cost to fix it, I could replace it with three small ones instead. So that's what I did. And I was thinking what you were talking about on the beer, that's totally true. I mean, that came about because of like the the cheap uh, mass market beers like Budweiser we mentioned last time, and they want you to drink it as cold as possible because when you do that, you can't really taste it. Yeah. And that's why the good beers, you don't want to drink them too cold. And you just gave me the idea to maybe put some of those in my wine refrigerator instead of the regular refrigerator. Well, see, you learn something every time on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yeah. So something uh, I said last time is that, you know, one rule is to match the body of the drink to the smoke but you can also go for a contrasting flavor. And that's what Kyle did with the Guinness. And also, here's my take. And you told me that, you know, you want me to try to come up with some mixed drinks. So that's what I did here. Mixing salty and sweet often works well. So how about a salty dog? And that's a cocktail uh, of gin, or you can use vodka, grapefruit juice, Served in a highball glass with a salted rim. I like everything except for the salt. But that's just me. I'd have to try it at least two or three times. So that so if I'm getting you right, this is kind of like a this is a variation of a margarita, except it's with a vodka or gin. Yeah, and kind of. I guess you could put it in that category. Uh yeah, and maybe uh I thought of a margarita actually at first, but I thought it might be too overpowering for the one Q. Yeah, well, and I like this because the you know, the only the only sweet stuff in the salty dog is the grapefruit juice, and it's not a real sweet <laughs> grapefruit yeah. juice. is a, is a yeah, it's a sugary citrus uh, citrus fruit, but it's more on the bitter side. Right, exactly. It has some bitterness there too. So that would work well because I was when when I was trying to think of a light aromatic, you know, I I really kind of punted and was looking at just a a real summertime crowd pleasing pipe smoking you know tobacco along with a summertime easy to drink just a traditional gin and tonic. Yeah, I, that crossed my mind as well. Uh, but again, I don't know anything that I'm really talking about because you know, my right. my idea of a light aromatic is a tobacco with a little bit of sweetener on it and not, not the vanilla taste. Um, how do you think the vanilla, do you think the salty dog would kind of, would be the, would be the top flavor that you'd get and then the, and then the one Q or the light aromatic would just be the base undertone? Yeah, I, I was thinking something like, you know, have you ever had uh, like a milk chocolate bar with salt? Uh, yeah. Salted chocolate? Yeah. So I, I was thinking something like that. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, Where it's 
it's it's sometimes it would it seems counterintuitive, but then when you try it, you know, because you think salty and sweet are kind of two opposite things, but sometimes they work well together. Oh no! And listen, sweet and sour chicken, sweet and sour pork, you know, that all works good for me too. Now I have to have Chinese food. <laughs> probably, probably wrong to record stuff like this in the middle of the day because <laughs> now we're hungry and drunk. Um, yeah. <laughs> but again, and, and these are these are all opinions. I really do like the idea of pairing it with a with a Guinness Stout or maybe a uh, you know maybe a chocolate stout uh, a chocolate stout beer. Something mm-hmm. that is something that is much more of a sipping and slow beer, and something that is served at the uh, at the proper temperature, so that yep. the pipe tobacco doesn't get yeah doesn't get buried by the cold beer. Yeah, I'm going to tell Kyle that too, not to have the beer too cold. There you go. All right. Sounds like he might have done that. <laughs> I'm sure he knows that. But uh, there you go. There's a, a pairing for a light aromatic for you, Kevin. Thank you very much. Cheers. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog and the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> In fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. <laughs> We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and another Ask the Experts, or as I've called them, the uh, the Seven Samurai or uh, the uh, the Seven Experienced People. Joining us is, uh, <laughs> Rich, I guess you are the big pipe guy. Um, the big pipe guy himself, Rich Esserman. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Brian. Great to be on the show. I always enjoy it. All right, let's get let's get into these questions because the first one um, should be right up your alley, especially with your you know with the with your love of English pipes. Uh, can you detect if a pipe has been oil cured or not, and do you have a preference? Well, that's an interesting question, and uh, you know some some manufacturers have advertised that they do oil curing, and other ones don't. Um, so in terms of blindfold tests, I've never had a blindfold test, but I will say this much. Uh, I, I can tell initially if a pipe has been oil cured, like I used to collect Ashton pipes. So that's, that's the main one that people know about now. And, um, you know, you can, you could tell initially the, uh, the oil curing, it had a certain flavor to it. It was, it was pretty interesting. I liked it. Um, and, you know, those pipes always, I, I had many of them, and the pipes always smoked very smooth. They had a really nutty flavor to them and a tremendous taste. Uh, but then after about 25, 30 smokes, that were off, <laughs> and they became like a regular uh, pipe. They didn't have that, that, that taste. I had a friend of mine who loved Ashton's. I mean, he had... I don't know, 50, 60 Ashtons, and he would buy them, and he would smoke them for like 30 times, and then he, the taste would wear out, and you'd have to get another one <laughs> to get that taste. It was really something else, and he did that for many years. Um, but in terms of whether or not that makes a difference, I will say I've tried a Radici oil cured, mm-hmm. which I, I found to be a little better than their, uh, than their standard uh, oil cure, in my opinion. Um, and also, you know, the Grachukin, the Grachukin pipe, 
um, also has oil curing. And I remember when I got my first one and I didn't taste it. Usually I try to sneak in a taste to see what it tastes like. I didn't. And I got back to the room and I sucked at it and I said, what the heck is this? <laughs> and uh, it was the oil. It was the oil. And I, I, my first one, I lit it up. I said, well, we'll see what happens. It was phenomenal. And it really made a big difference. The other thing that it's tough to talk about in terms of, well, do I really taste oil is, you know, most people know I collect Dunhill and Dunhill Magnums yep. from the uh, from the 20s and 30s. And they did oil cure their pipes. And you can see in the fitted cases, by the way, um, the fact that there was oil curing because the bowl, the part of the case where the bowl is, that's dark because huh. the oil seeped into the fabric. And the stem is light, like a, that's how it was originally. So, I find that those pipes, the taste of those, and I can't really say I taste the oil, but I will say that those pipes have the greatest ability to taste tobacco, the flavor of tobaccos from those old magnums. It's probably better than any, any pipe I've ever owned, which wow. is why I like smoking them. I like so, the I like the idea that laying in the case there was still oil in it and it would seep out and discolor the case lining. Oh yeah, in every case, in every one of them, you know. And the question was, when did Dunhill stop oil curing? I would say to you, I don't know, but I, I my good friend, the late Bill Taylor, used to tell me when he started 1959 um, that there was no choice of oil curing at the Dunhill factory at that point in time. Huh. All right. Yeah. So, so you you do prefer a pipe that has been oil cured if you're buying it brand new? Well, I would say to you, I, I think it doesn't. To me, I'll be honest with you, it doesn't matter. I will say that the oil curing is uh, is a nice extra if you can get it. Yeah. But I don't think it would prevent me from buying a pipe that isn't oil cured because I have many that aren't. All right, on to the next question, and this one may not be right up your alley, but uh, mm -hmm. what makes a pipe more of a flake tobacco pipe for you? Well, to me, that's sort of a, a tougher question, mainly because I do, I mix all my tobacco myself now. Um, it's rare, it's rare that I take something directly from a tin and just put it in my pipe. What I do is I, I mix up different blends. But I will say that, you know, I, and I, I don't use discrete tobaccos. I use discrete blends. So, for instance, I might mix Light Flake, Dunhill Light Flake, and Dunhill Nightcap, and then throw in some other moderate tobacco, a Balkan tobacco, mix it up. That's a simple one. And then put it in my pipe. But I will say this. In almost every blend that I use, I do use a flake tobacco. And I've tried flake tobaccos. Obviously, to get the taste of it without mixing it, so I know what the you know what they taste like. And to me, you got to have, yeah, you, you need to have a small, smaller pipe, of course, because the larger pipe. If I smoked a flake, an unbroken flake in a large pipe, first I don't know if I'd get it lit. <laughs> secondly, secondly, I, I I think that you know to really get the full essence and flavor of the flake, assuming that you don't break it up too much, you need to get a smaller pipe. To really capture the flavor, a large pipe I don't think will do the right job for a flake. So smaller, maybe a group four size pipe, something like that. And I like, oddly enough, I think that you know, the, the question of how how narrow the tobacco chamber should be, I think it should be a little wider. Believe it or not. <laughs> so you're you're a little uh, contrarian to most people. Yep. But you also like pipes that a lot of people could use as walking sticks. So. <laughs> hey, correct. That's right. Uh, have you ever just taken a taken a flake and rubbed it out and filled up one of your magnums with it? Uh, not a magnum. I mean, I do have smaller pipes, GG size pipes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've done it actually. I've done it in uh, like I have Costellos that are that are you know maybe two and a quarter inches high. <laughs> and uh, I've, I've I've actually smoked it in 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 one of those. I I have a few that I can flakes that I like that I can smoke with nothing added to them. And um, but you got to be careful in terms of 
getting like how to get the pipe lit. I've, I've learned how to use a pipe tool to move the flame around because in a larger pipe, you have that flame and, and only, let's say, a quarter of the pipe gets lit up and then it doesn't smoke right with yep. a flake. So you got to like learn how to start with the with the flame and then move it, move the flame around so the whole top's burning. Oh boy, it's not, we we could do a whole master class on how to smoke a larger <laughs> on how to smoke a larger bowl with you. Yeah, but to do that, I'd have to charge you money. Uh oh, never mind. We'll move on to the next question then. <laughs> um, what is your preferred method of flame? Uh. That's a good question because I'm a, also an odd one uh, when it comes to that kind of thing. Many years ago, when I first started to smoke a pipe, I didn't know what I was doing. And, and no one said, you know, use a lighter, matches, whatever. I would just use whatever it was handy. And then uh, one day I went into a tinderbox, believe it or not, in 1975. And there was a fellow who had opened it up, Nick, the guy's last name, experienced pipe guy. And he only carried high grades only carried high grades. There was no the gasket pipe. There was like Caminos for 60, 70 bucks. There was seven LE autographs, Ben Wade's, Preben Holmes, Dunhills. Hills. And um, I was able to get a, I was able to get a, uh, through layaway, my favorite method, um, a seven LE autograph. And he, and he said to me, you shouldn't use a lighter on that pipe. I said, why not? He said, because you're going to burn the rim. I said, oh, okay. And then he gave me a box of wooden matches. And I've never used anything since. So for 45 years, the only thing I've used, basically, is wooden matches of varying sizes. Because I find I can control the flame better. Mm -hmm. I can point the flame better. And I can really get the thing going the way I want it to go. Versus a lighter, I've seen people, man, they the blowtorch. The blowtorch method is what I call it. Yeah. And you look at the top of their pipe, and oh my God, what do they do? But but uh, with a match, you can really aim. And again, you know, I have long matches, cigar matches, and so on, where you can, if I have to go into the bowl a little bit, and the way down, you know. But that's that's what I really enjoy. I like using. I'm very comfortable with that. So you, in addition to mixing your own blends, you also have your own assortment of match lengths for different parts of the bowl. That's correct. That's right. <laughs> so, so you're not you're not smoking while you're taking a walk or uh, or driving a car. You're you're sitting down in a chair with all your stuff ready to go. Yeah, I mean, and that's a that's an interesting point because you know, when I first got when I first graduated, I moved back home, and then I got my little apartment in a small town in upstate New York, uh, near Binghamton, New York. And I used to go home for lunch just before I was married and everything. And I would, I used to have small pipes. I, I loved Rhodesians and Bulldogs. And I would smoke a bowl during lunch and then go back to the office. It was five minutes away. And then at night, I would smoke two smaller bowls or large bowls, but small compared to what I do now. But then when I moved down to New Jersey uh, and I got married, there's no way that I could smoke like during lunch. So, I only smoked in the evening, so I began to really get into the really huge pipes, and I and the, and you can't really walk with a pipe that's three inches high. It's difficult. <laughs> yeah. And 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 so that's what I do every night. I try to go down to stairs and, and I smoke uh, a very large bowl, and I have everything you know set up so that I can just do it without without really any hassle. Rich, that's a perfect place for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll have uh, more with uh, expert and experienced pipe smoker Rich Esserman. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990, Cornell & Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. 
The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special Red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes autumn evenings so well loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio, radio show, visiting with Rich Esserman uh, in the, uh, the Ask the Experts. The next question for you, are you ready? Yep. Do you notice a cooler smoke with a pipe that has a longer shank like a Canadian, or I guess in your case, um, do you notice a cooler smoke between what we would consider a normal pipe and you consider one of your giants? Yeah, that's a, another good question. I just was talking to another uh, fellow about this uh, particular topic, about whether the longer shank um, actually cools the smoke down. And I and I have shanks that are like, uh, the longest one I have is like uh, uh, nine inches, <laughs> one piece. And I have some other Ronaldos. That, that's a Don Carlos pipe. And then I have Ronaldos that are like almost seven inches long with, with fairly tall bowls. And then I have a few other pieces. And then I have, of course, my giant magnums, which don't have the long shank per se, but are rather long in and of themselves. They might be 10 inches long, but they're standard shapes. Uh, and, I, and I would say to you... Um, it depends. I, I, I think it does cool it down, but I think a lot of it, to me, uh, more important rather than the length of the shank is actually the thickness of the bowl, of the walls of the bowl. I mean, I have some pipes that are just gigantically thick, and you smoke those pipes, and they, and they are cool, you know? So to me, the absorption of the, of the, of the, of the heat and everything like that by the wood in the bowl really is, is a, a is of great importance. And mm -hmm. then the traveling down the shank, I know my friend, the late Tony Soderman used to love long shank pipes. Yeah. And I think he held that they, uh, that they probably did cool down the smoke to some degree, but I, I really, I think that's a combination. I think if you get a long uh, shank pipe and, and you, and you have a, a small bowl, you're still going to get a pretty hot smoke in my opinion. And I don't look at the pipe itself, the shape. I look at the length of the wood. I learned this from a couple of pipe makers. They would look at my pipe and they would, and I'd have a Canadian, they'd say, well, let me take out my ruler. And so what I do is I look at the total pipe. So I have some pipes with big bowls and fairly long shanks, and they're longer than a smaller pipe that looks like a, that's a Canadian <laughs> in terms of the wood itself. When you measure the wood, like a six-inch piece of wood, where the whole pipe for with a, with a Canadian with a small bowl might be six inches in total. So I would say to you, it does help to some degree, but not like uh, you can say, oh, yeah, definitely. You, know, yeah. you get a five-inch shank and you're going to get cooler smoke. I figured with you and most of your pipes, if you're if you're working at the top of the bowl, by the time that smoke gets to you, it's gone through seven, eight, ten inches anyway, and that's just a standard size pipe for you. So. <laughs> Right. And sometimes the pipe, the tobacco at the bottom of the bowl has gone through a whole aging process while you're working your way down to it. <laughs> right. That's uh, true. Yeah. Next question. Uh, when smoking the same tobacco, why do you think some pipes smoke wetter than other pipes? Uh, another good question. Um, these... I think a lot has to do with with uh, with construction. I found that I, I like a certain shape. It's like a Dunhill 120 uh, shape, which is like a half bent or almost a three quarter bent, and it's usually got a, a nice shape bowl and so on. I find that those things, if I if I um, I can smoke tobacco in those things, and what I do is if I let the pipe hang too much. 
a lot of a lot of condensation condenses at the bottom. So when I smoke it, I'm careful. I smoke the pipe, holding it up, and don't let it hang down. Um, on the other hand, uh, I basically uh, find that my Costellos, which I love the shape 65, which is the full bend, 65 or half bend, rarely, 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 rarely ever get any condensation at all. I hardly hmm. have to ever use a pipe cleaner. And I just think it's the way that they're made. That's that's what I think. There's no there's no rhyme or reason to it other than, you know, I find that the same shapes for me smoke, if they're going to smoke a little wetter, no matter who made them. And that's a, and that's just a construction of, of how the of, of the of the of the pipe itself. That's the only thing I can think of. Well, you are the expert, so I can't argue with you. Plus, it's your own opinion, and and you've smoked yeah, well, a, you've smoked a few pipes in the past too. Yeah, I smoked a few thousand. Yeah. <laughs> um, next question is: What is a specific aspect or dimension that a pipe must have in order for you to purchase it? Well, for me, you you obviously hit on something that's important. Um, a pipe has to be in my opinion, the, the inner bowl, the, the interior, tobacco chamber, no matter what, has to be at least two inches deep. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, usually I like it more than that, but it has to be that minimum two inches deep. And uh, if it's two inches deep, it has to be at least seven-eighths inch across on the tobacco chamber. So that's the first thing I look at. I don't really care about the exterior. I don't really care about anything else. If I see it, like I've seen pipes, uh, there was a Costello ones. The number one in their old former RTDA series. It was the most beautiful, beautiful pipes. Perfect straight grain with a yellow stem on it, special edition. I think it was 208. And it got sent to me, or 207. It got sent to me and son of a gun, it 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 had the, almost the right length, but it but it was thirteen sixteenths inches in diameter. And I knew one thing: that it was not going to be a long enough smoke. Even though the pipe was phenomenal, I had to I had to send it back to the dealer for that reason. So that's the key. That's the starting point. Yeah. Because when you think about it. If you get a three-inch billiard, and you get a three-inch bent, and you get a three-inch stubbin, you know what? In, a, in, a, in reality, they're all chimneys. It's just that they're shaped a little differently, but they have characteristics of a chimney pipe. So, so the exterior is not what does it. It's the interior that I'm looking at. And then the exterior, of course, you know, I like a large pipe. But if it doesn't meet that basic criterion, it doesn't matter what it is. It's a sixteenth away, and and that pipe went back. That's it. You'd be surprised. The difference okay. between I was talking to a dealer who I will not mention, um, who was also he's a pipe smoker, likes pipes. Um, basically, uh, he's discovering now that he likes the. I've been telling him to smoke a little bigger pipe because he's been complaining about. It. And he did. He guy. He went to a pipe with seven eighths. He says, "What a difference." <laughs> between that he can't believe it he's been smoking the pipe for 40 50 years and uh and and so you know to me that 16th of an inch even on larger pipes if it's 13 16 i'll smoke them i have pipes that are that but they smoke differently isn't that strange yeah no it makes perfect sense to me because it's exactly what you found you like yeah uh, does the length of the shank or the stem matter to you, or does it just have to be proportional to the bowl? Uh, I would say to you that, first of all, in terms of absolute length, it's rare, except maybe in a, on a bent where, where it could be 5.75 inches. I will not get a pipe smaller than 6 inches long. In other words, six inches is the absolute minimum for a straight pipe. Uh, so I'm looking. I'm always looking at dimensions in inches. 
Um, and I prefer, obviously, a pipe. If I get a pipe with a three-inch bowl, I prefer it to be, let's say, uh, eight inches long. And I prefer, obviously, to have the shank not to be too short, although I have some nice castells that have a briar extension to get that. And they, they look rather nice. But uh, I prefer, like I say, real more more standard proportions. If it's a shorter shank and a longer stem, I'll live with it if it's a great bow. So you're so you're you're somewhat flexible, but you but again you need those you need those dimensions. Otherwise, the pipe just doesn't qualify for you. That's correct. That's why I have every dealer who knows me, and a lot of dealers know that they have to send dimensions when they send me photos. It isn't goodness. I get another <laughs> dimensions of, of the pipe. It it could be really small, and then you blow it up on your screen, and it looks really big. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> do you prefer your pipes bowl coated or not? I I think that this is a it's a it's a question that we have now, but it's a bogus question. I don't mean bogus because you asked it. I meant bogus because you know this sort of started this bowl coating stuff sort of started in the in the early two thousands. And, and and whether bowls should be coated, not coated, Italian makers, some of them made bowls coated, don't. It, it's it's bogus because up until that time, let me put it to this way: you bought a Dunhill coated bowl, you bought a Sheraton, sometimes coated bowl, sometimes not. But Sheratons were not known to be great smoking pipes. <laughs> you bought a bought a Kamoy coated bowl, you bought a GBD coated bowl and so on and so forth. All the great houses always had a coated bowl. And what, what I mean by coated bowl is now, there's a difference between coatings that the English used and coatings between what the Danish folks used. The early days, the bowl coating was basically stain and, and, uh, and uh, uh, shellac yeah. combination. And it was a great that taste on that first smoke, too. Oh, great taste. Always. <laughs> Always. And then and then the Danish use other products to help to help along the smoke along. Um, but you know, they also would weren't weren't really they didn't impact the taste of the smoke, which is what I'm concerned about. I had there some younger guys who use certain coatings and they make great pipes, and, and you can taste the coating. It, it impacts the flavor of the tobacco. It doesn't come through until you have to sort of wear the coat off. But almost everybody uses coating. I mean, Mike Butera, who's one of my favorite, favorite of all time pipe makers. J.T. Cook uses a bowl coating. Yeah. You know, almost everybody uses a bowl coating. And, like, I, I, I here's one example, then I get off the topic. So, you know, uh, Jeff Grasick, who makes a really nice pipe, but mainly they're small, which is why I don't have a lot of them. But when he does make a magnum, I try to get him. So I basically, he, he took him like years to make this one pipe. It was a big bend. It was beautiful. <laughs> it was a natural, natural blast. He said, what should I do? He said, you want me to coat the bowl? I said, no, 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 don't coat anything. I just want to have it natural. And, um, man, the pipe, I got it. It smoked like his other pipes. Great. I picked up a natural recently in a, in a sale that was unsmoked. With the bowl coating, it smoked like the uncoated one. So I think it's how they, they, he works with his briar. You know, I had that one other time with a, with a, with a Dunhill when I got a giant tan shell in 2003 with bamboo. Uncoated bowl. And I figured, well, how's this going to smoke just like the other Daniels? So I don't know. I mean, I, I just look at it as a, as a question, but to me it's a non-secretary kind of question. <laughs> so so <laughs> don't talk to Rich about bowl coating. He's sensitive. No, no, no. It, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I've got a uh, I got a special request of you because you are now the um, what are you are the the dean of the doctors of pipes college. Um, yeah, the the governor. The governor. I'm sorry, yeah, your uh, yeah, your please. your lordship, governor. Please, please. Uh, um, yes. Um, 
Would you like to, right here, right now, announce the winners this year? Because I've yet to mention them on the show, and I figured I'd give you that honor. Uh, yeah. Um, actually, uh, the it's always interesting to see how people are voting. It's a secret ballot. Um, but all the doctors get to vote. Initially, when the thing started out, it was voted on by the Chicago Land Club itself. And the doctor's program is actually part of the Chicago Land Pipe Club. And then what happened is after there were so many doctors made, there was enough mass, so to speak, so that the doctors voted. Um, and uh, this year uh, you had um, uh, Jeff Knoll, who basically is the uh, president of the NASPC yep. uh, Pipe Club, North American Pipe Club, and uh, good guy. Uh, known him for a while. He he won this year for the for the hobbyist side, and then the, for the first time ever, uh, we had a person who was the master of pipes. Um, he became a doctor, and that's Sykes Wilford. Yeah, who I've known now for quite a number of years. A great guy, always working to promote the hobby and and, and uh, really a tremendous asset to the uh, pipe smoking community. So those are the two winners this year. And uh, it was really uh, exciting. It was an exciting thing to, to watch. I get to watch it, so to speak, as the votes come in. And uh, the two great gentlemen, and uh, and uh, hopefully uh, this year because of the, you know, the virus, we're unable to have the Chicagoland show, which is a shame. But hopefully next year we'll be able to award them also in person. Uh, they're they're you know publicly given their doctorate in person, so yeah, very exciting. I'm glad to have Sykes on there because for as long as I've been a doctor of pipes, I've been the youngest by far, and now there's somebody <laughs> younger than me, and I'm <laughs> I, I'm thrilled for him. Yeah, no, it was great. It was great. I congratulated them both, and I hope other folks now send them notes of congratulation. Uh, that uh, they they won. And then also, can you tell us about the, uh, since you mentioned Sykes was a master of pipes, oh, and does he get to keep both now? Um, <laughs> anyway, who are the uh, who are the two new masters of pipes? Um, there's, there's, uh, one is uh, in the, uh, and I, and I, and I, I'm sorry if I mispronounce his name. His, his name is uh, Chad Terpstra, who basically uh, won the uh, hobbyist. He was the, he did a, a video, really a tremendous video. And the other one was um, John David Cole, our own little, our own who, favorite little hobbit from the Country Squire, right? Who basically who won this year? Yep. And uh, as he's in the uh, industry. So those two guys, those two gentlemen, um, really uh, well deserved, and uh, it's terrific. And that, we, we have people who are sort of quote unquote younger, who are making you know a, sort of a a name and in a, a making themselves known in the hobby and, and helping the hobby grow and stay strong. Yeah, and they're young enough that they can stay up late enough for the meeting on Saturday night at the pipe show. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right, finally, uh, is <laughs> this is going to be this is kind of really unfair, uh, an unfair question to ask all of you experts, but uh, is there one pipe that you owned and got rid of that you wished you could get back, or is or and or a pipe you saw for sale that you regret not buying? Uh, the answer always has to be yes and yes. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, like my, my philosophy is this. I had an old friend, Ned Lehman, who was a pipe collector, a great guy, who passed away now about 16 years ago. But he and I were great friends for 20-something years. And, and Ned said, you know what, can't look back. So, you know, when you're in the hobby and you're doing stuff, most of the time, not all, not all the time, but most of the time, you know, you're in a situation where you got to make some quick decisions. And for instance, you know, I've had situations in which someone has come up to me, a dealer, 
I said, look at you know, I have a, a Dunhill Magnum for you. And I'd say, wow, that's great. And then how much? Well, it's this much, and we'll work it out and whatever it is. And so I do cash and trade or whatever. And then you say, oh, you know, should I really give this one piece up? And you give it up. And you, you do it because it's by necessity. In other words, if I was worth $30, $40 million, I wouldn't have any problem. I'd probably have 8,000 yeah. pipes. You know, and the same thing with buying. I, I, there's a few pieces that I, the one, the one brand that I've never, the guy, maker I've never owned is, is a Lars pipe. Oh, boy. I've had, oppor- I've had opportunities to buy. I mean, I've owned 16. I've owned, I have Bone Nord pipes. I have Yes pipes, whatever. Um, and I, I, I wanted to get one large because I just, you know, like the, like the shapes and I had an opportunity to get one and the guy had a better opportunity to trade it up for a bone Nord. I didn't get it. So, so the thing is, uh, you know, but there was a, there's a, uh, I had an opportunity to buy a sandblast, a big one, which is beautiful, big for him. And, um, I, I, I hemmed and hawed, and then when I got around to contacting the dealer, it was sold. So there's always going to be, you know, good good things, bad things you're going to regret that you didn't do. You should have shouldn't have sold this. You shouldn't have traded that, or you could have bought this pipe. I mean, uh, just recently, uh, you know, I was in a situation in which um, I had an opportunity to buy a couple different pieces, and I bought one. And I, and there was another, uh, it was a, a modern Dunhill Magnum. Um, and, uh, you know, it's expensive. And I, I haven't been hard and I hard too much. <laughs> and then I called back and it was gone. <laughs> but you live with it. You know, you don't, you, you can't worry about that. You know, you, I, have, yeah. I have a lot of great pipes. And, you know, if I miss one, I miss one. That's the way I look at it. There'll be another one along soon that you'll fall in love with, and and you might miss that one too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point in time, you know, the thing is, I'm very fortunate because I have a lot of friends and and, and uh, looking out for me, and dealers who have looked out to make sure that I got a, a, an opportunity to buy certain pipes that I'm interested in. And and those are the things that I I don't I don't think about the things I miss. I think about all the good stuff that I'm able to get. And all the friends who have said, hey, you know, here's something you should look at. And, and whether I get it or not, just the thought that people are looking out for me really is tremendous. Well, Lord High Governor, Doctor of Pipes, Rich Esserman, thank you very much for coming on and thanks for doing this. Yep, my pleasure. I always enjoy talking to you about pipes. You know, it's, it's to me, it's, it's something that I've always had a fascination with my whole life, probably always will. <laughs> And we'll be back in just a minute. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achille Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achille's dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. This is Internet Radio. And we are back, and I want to further uh, reiterate congratulations to Sykes, Jeff, John, David, and Chad on their uh, on their awards, and uh, thanks to uh, Rich for joining me. And Rich, thanks for uh, thanks for governoring governoring the uh, doctors of pipes. We're a wild crew. Um, all right, for music, uh, another happy upbeat song that I just kind of like, and it's uh, it's from the from the great British rock band Queen. Tonight I'm gonna have myself a real good time. I feel alive, and the world. 
version of Don't Stop Me Now from the Bohemian Rhapsody movie soundtrack and you know if you don't feel better after listening to that well I guess there's always medication you've got freaking mail in the mailbag we got a lot to get through uh iTunes reviews uh thank you very much to those that have done it we've gotten uh, we're up over 301 so thank you but a couple of ratings and reviews one from uh Pastor Brad 81, and he writes, there's nothing quite like enjoying a pipe with a friend. Uh, And then I lost where I was. There he is. Uh, That is what this is, the sweet enjoyment of sharing a pipe with those who love the hobby and are truly passionate about spreading great information about how to enjoy your pipe more. If you love relaxing with a pipe, you'll love this podcast. Well, thank you, Pastor Brad. And uh, we was here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, zero. Oh, actually, I think it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, said, uh, should have wrote this earlier. Brian, I hope these reviews help you hit the 300 mark. You deliver wonderful content and pipe-related information on every episode. Some of my favorite smokes have been sitting on the porch at night, smoking a bowl while this podcast is playing in the background. Thank you very much. And they, you know, that's you know, the front porch is you know, the back porch sitting outside at night. One of my favorite places to enjoy a pipe. Uh, lots to get through from the last two shows uh, regarding uh, Nate Rose and the uh, Food for Thought Strongman show. Uh, Casey Ghost Casey Ghost writes uh, Half Thor Bjornsson deadlifted eleven hundred and four pounds breaking the world record by two pounds in very early May, which had stood for two years and 10 months. 1,104 pounds. 
that's almost my car weighs 2200 pounds anyway just amazing um that was a fun show too i had no idea what i was getting into uh last week's show dino writes 400 400th show mazel tov and this was a great idea for a program Rick's answers were interesting and quite revealing. Rich is su- uh, Rick is such a great guy and a true raconteur. I look forward to the next six experts. I'm from Chicago. Sticks is hometown pride, and that performance was very uplifting. I can't believe <laughs> I've spent more than 400 hours of my life listening to you and your guests. <laughs> yeah, my apologies for that. Um, uh, and then he says, uh, my best wishes for many, many more hours of this show to Patty Tarler's family and friends. May her memory be eternal, Dino. Thank you, Dino. Uh, and then Ira, the writing rabbi, writes Mazel Tov on show 400. Terrific show and a great idea for the show format. Congratulations on coming up with a fresh idea. Can't wait for the next six shows. What else do you have up your sleeve? Uh, Rick was at his best, too. Uh, and then Ira says, uh, forgot to mention about Patty Tarler's passing. I visited Craig and Patty back in their North Carolina days when we were blending the Hebraica series, still available. Uh, I often spoke with her on the phone also in those days. What a wonderful lady. The pipe world will greatly miss her. May her memory be a blessing. Amen. Uh, and then uh, Casey Ghost says, this was simply the greatest of shows. I can't wait for the other six people to be on the show. Rick Newcomb, one of the giants of our hobby, was a real delight to have again on the show. While naturally not agreeing with everything Rick says, he is just a joy to listen to. Uh, the next six shows promise us some amazing interviews with great guests. Mazel tov on your 400th show. Thank you. Um uh, and then a couple other a couple other quick comments uh the uh, you know just going back to rick and that uh, renfield said another interesting episode in an always enjoyable show congratulations on 400 shows the show adds dimension and a community feel to our sometimes isolated hobby always a quality broadcast and the amount of hard work and attention to detail shows thanks for everything you do for our hobby and that's really cool to hear I like the attention to detail because occasionally I miss the details. Um, Also, you know, so a lot of what is going to be said by these experts is obviously a lot of opinion. And here's uh, George Debose, who has a well-founded opinion in uh, handling many, many pipes and repairs, says this. uh, Going to say something before an aggrieved veteran of the open airway uh, airway war starts in. Rick's first book, where the idea of making the airways of some pipes larger in diameter to improve their smoking performance was a compilation of essays that were written for for a club newsletter over a period of several years. Because each essay was intended to be self-contained, whenever the airway question came up, he re-explained the concept as a courtesy to readers who might be unfamiliar with it. Also repeated was a clear caution that he was only writing about what he had found to be true, that pipe smoking was practiced with enough variation that the benefits he discovered might not apply to others. An unintended result of mentioning those possible benefits of a larger-than-customary airway repeatedly in the same book was that the qualifiers were forgotten and the repetition became the message. Human nature did the rest. Cries of, we've been doing it wrong all along, and bigger is better, were soon heard everywhere. And the result of that was lots of kitchen table modifications by unpracticed hands, meaning many pipes were either destroyed entirely or their airways opened too far. Then came the backlash. It was easiest, of course, to blame it all on Rick. I was smoking and working on pipes long before all this happened, watched it unfold in real time, and had plenty of time to observe what came after. Trust me when I say you'd have to search a long time to find a pipe collector and smoker who has less inclined to tell people what to do and more eager to help others find enjoyment in the hobby than Rick. He's a true gentleman in every way. In hindsight, the entire drama could have been avoided by consolidating the first book's repeated mentions of airway opening, of course. A single chapter covering the subject would have sufficed, 
But who knew how many would run with the idea? No one could have guessed at the wild sales success of the book either. Anyway, there you go. Hopefully it's enough to preempt a fresh round of open the airway war here in these comments on this board. Rick deserves better than that, much better. George, thank you very much for writing that. I couldn't have said it better. Um, yeah, just the, that's Rick's personal opinion, and he'll tell you that right away. It's not for everybody. Uh, Trout Times writes, excellent show, great concept, seven questions. I can't wait to hear Fred Hanna answer the questions. <laughs> now you might have to wait a little bit. Um, uh, and then Casey Ghost said again, this was the quintessential show of shows. Rick has very strongly held beliefs that he does not force upon people. He's a true gentleman and a pleasure to be around. And then finally, uh, Java, going back to the last two shows, says, uh, let's see, Java3 said, I enjoyed the last two podcasts immensely, and I want to congratulate both you, Brian, and Kevin on sticking with it for 400 shows. I'm sure you guys are both shoe-ins for the Pipe and Tobacco Podcast Hall of Fame. <laughs> You both may have to vote. I stand beside you also with your rave regarding those virtual pipe club meetings, presentations, BRTV, and all kinds of programming. I tip my hat to those that work hard behind the scenes, especially with their free time to organize and set them up for us all to partake. They are the uh, they are the literally just what the doctor ordered in the in times like these. And the logistics make them seem uh, make them so very favorable to attend. So there you go. All right. Remember, comments, questions, email me, Brian at pipesmagazine.com. Travel-related stuff, Brian.levine at mei-travel.com. And rant time is next. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corn Cob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corn cob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. going to screw this up and I'm probably not going to say it as well as I should but I'm going to take a shot at it anyway because uh, the anti-smokers are stupid and we know that and even some smokers are stupid too but uh, as at the time of recording this is the middle of May and we are still in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic and I promised I wouldn't mention much about this but well here it is anyway uh, there is an article that we're going to put a link to in the uh, show notes or down on the show page here on uh, from Reason Foundation that says uh, scientists studying nicotine's potential to treat COVID-19. Now, in the article, and this is where I'm not going to say it as smart as I should because I'm not a biologist, doctor, whatever, uh, is that the is that nicotine acts uh, blocks the receptors that react to COVID-19 and in one situation it showed where 25% of the population of an area were smokers but smokers were only showing as 5% of the patients being treated so now there are plans there there are uh, uh, tests out there in uh, you know scientific things looking to see what nicotine does and how it helps and it could it be a treatment for somebody who is positively diagnosed well then you get all the anti namby pamby wamby who's climbing on board including our own uh, centers for disease control the national institute of health the surgeon general and of course the uh, you know the the stop smoking organizations and the children you know the the uh, campaign for tobacco free kids saying that you know, nicotine's going to give everybody lung cancer and blah, 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 blah. Well, here's the stupid part, all right? You don't get lung cancer from nicotine. 
nicotine comes in through the mouth, it comes in through the lungs, you can, you can snort it, it'll come in through the nose, it'll come in all kinds of different ways. So let's let the, you know, let's let scientists test and see what they can find out. And uh, those anti smokers out there or anybody who's anti inhaling, well, guess what? You're still getting nicotine if you're using tobacco products. So know what you're doing, learn about it. And if there's a way that nicotine can help with what's going on here, I'm all for it. And uh, maybe that's one of the reasons why I survived, uh, you know, going on a cruise and going through airports and all that stuff. And even being in Las Vegas, you never know. All right. Uh, hope you enjoyed. Uh, hope you enjoyed part two of the uh, seven experts. Part three next week. Comments or questions, email me, Brian at pipesmagazine.com or post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page. JDRF auction donations. Please let me know. Uh, thank you to uh, Kevin for uh, doing some uh, drink research for me. Thank you to uh, Rich Esserman. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to you. God, do you have any crucifixions today? 139, sir. Special celebration. Passover, sir. <laughs>